Hear this invitation from Jesus. Hear this invitation from the words of Jesus from the Word of God. Hear this invitation from Jesus to you this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and we really are glad that you're here. It is good to see your face this morning. Uh, we are glad for your um, desire to gather together with God's people and to um, continue making this a priority for the rhythms of your life and asking God to prioritize the rhythms of your life. Um, why are you here? And this is one where you can answer. Why are you here? Well, what, are, uh, what, are, what are reasons we gather? What's important that we gather for? What, what do we come ready for? Fellowship, being with other followers of Jesus. Worship, to give our praises to God, and not just through singing, right, in various ways. I think I heard be in the Word, yep, learn about God, be in the Word, and what'd you say? Hear from God, yep. I'm not, uh, this morning's going to be a little different because um, I'm not really going to full-blown preach, but perhaps it's going to be even better because uh, we are going to, as we always do, we are going to hear from God from his word, but a little, I'm going to do a little bit of talking in between, but a lot of this morning is going to be reading from the word, reading scripture. And giving room for us to ponder and leaving chunks of silence. Awkward. No, so that it's not awkward, let's think this ahead of time before I start. What are some things you might be doing? What are some options for you when I'm reading God's Word? Listen could be one good option. What else might you do while you're hearing from God's word? Take, you, could, you could jot stuff down, certainly, if you want. You, you, could, you could reflect, ponder it. Pray and ask God to hear what he is saying. What about when I leave chunks of those potentially awkward, but we're not, it's not going to be awkward this morning because we're going to be ready for it. What about when I leave chunks of silence? What might God have you do in those times? Reflect, pray, listen. You could follow along in your own Bible for sure if you want. Some will be on the screen. Some of what I'm going to read is not on the screen. Some I'll invite you to turn to in your own Bible. Uh, You can certainly follow along where possible, but it's also fine to just listen. So let's, uh, let's do that and see what God has in store for us this morning. In this first few verses... This isn't a rule, 
but it's a suggestion. These first few verses that I'm going to read, I'm going to read slowly, and you may find that you would enjoy having your eyes closed, but you don't have to. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul, a leader in the early church, writes this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then Paul again, in 2 Corinthians 12, listen to Paul's words from 2 Corinthians 12. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that that this thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan would, would go away. And he said, the Lord replied to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul's response to that was, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Can we say that this morning? I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, Then I am strong. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the author of Hebrews, in chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of faith in Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is in, has in every respect been tempted as we have been, and yet he was without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me just leave a couple of moments more of silence for you to pray, and I encourage you to 
Reflect on some of the things you just heard, to talk with God about those things. No special words are required. He knows you. He hears you. You can talk with him. And, and perhaps then also to invite him to speak into your life this morning as we continue in God's word, asking him to open your heart and mind for what he has in store. Heavenly Father, as we take a few more minutes to look into your word and to consider the good news of Jesus, would you prepare us to hear from you? Would you prepare our hearts to share in the Lord's Supper together? God, I pray that this morning would not just be another morning, just some morning, just some routine. God, I pray that by your grace, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. By your grace, you would move us to seek you, to put ourselves at your feet, to be changed by you, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, to, to learn how to live increasingly, to live out the ways of Jesus. God, we thank you for the, the gospel good news that God rescues us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That We thank you for the gospel good news that despite our sin and rebellion, that you have made a way to know you, to be in relationship with you, to be adopted into your family, and that Jesus is that way. So we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So next Sunday is going to begin a new teaching series through Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Anyone know what Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 are? Or maybe it's on the screen and that's a cheat way. Oh no, it wasn't on the screen yet, so you weren't cheating yet. Next, uh, next week we're going to start a series called Kingdom Life. And uh, it's teaching through Romans, I mean Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this section of Jesus' teaching. And uh, we're going to ask God to use that series to teach us how to be kingdom people, to live as citizens of the kingdom, to, to ask God to show us when we have been rescued by Jesus, when we have been brought into the family of God, what does it look like to live a kingdom life? What is he calling us to? What is he empowering us to do? Um, 
what does obedience to the teaching of Jesus look like? And so that's what we're going to be exploring. And so, I don't know, if the series officially starts next Sunday, then maybe today is like a prequel, right? So if we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 next Sunday, then I want to look just a couple verses before um, chapter 5, just a few verses before the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4.23 will be on the screen. And it says, Jesus went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The good news. Gospel means good news. A proclamation. The good news of the kingdom. And in various places in scripture, Jesus refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. There's various places in scripture where Jesus refers to my kingdom. And so therefore it's the kingdom of Christ. So, there, so he was, when he was on earth, when Jesus was moving around teaching, he was teaching the good news of the kingdom. And, and the kingdom is referring to, this, to the rule and reign of Jesus over all things. And Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come. In other words, since Jesus was here, the kingdom of God is true and unfolding. Jesus reigns over all. And if Jesus reigns over all, then part of the kingdom life, part of living in the kingdom of God, is that his people are living out his ways. That Jesus reigns over us as his people. That he has rule in our lives such that he is Lord of us. The gospel of the kingdom is the spectacular good news that Jesus reigns. Now, and it's unfolding, and it will be fulfilled even more in the future when he returns. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus is king, and that he reigns, and that his kingdom is here. And the good news of the gospel, as we say it so often, is that God rescues sinners like me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel good news of the kingdom is that salvation comes through Jesus. And guess what? There's more. The gospel of the kingdom, if, if Jesus is king of the kingdom, if we are his people, if we are learning to live kingdom lives, not only is Jesus the source of our salvation being made right with God, but by the grace of Jesus, we are transformed, made more and more to be like him, and empowered to live for him, enabled to live for him. If he calls us to it, if his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks and months calls us to it, asks us to obey, says what a kingdom life looks like, he also empowers and enables us to live that way. The gospel of the kingdom. Is that good news? So now when we think of a kingdom, sometimes we tend to think of geopolitical, physical, geographical, a kingdom, and, 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 and that's not really what we're going here for because Jesus is Jesus because Jesus is God and Jesus reigns over all. And part of being in his kingdom is, is allowing his rule and reign in our life. But we might think to ourselves, well, God is creator of all things, and if, and if, if, if Jesus is king of the kingdom, then, then everything belongs to him. Well, yes. Well, we might think, well, then if Jesus is king of the kingdom, then everyone is part of the king kingdom. And then we go, hmm, well, hmm, yeah, mm, eh, maybe. Because we also hear God, Jesus talk in, about how to enter the kingdom. 
in several places. A couple I'll just read to you. Matthew 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In John 3, when Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So is everybody automatically part of the kingdom of God? And in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will, what's another word for does the will? Obey. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now this is not on the screen, but I'm going to continue reading right after that verse. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should be sobering. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, the gospel good news of the kingdom. Jesus came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is king of the kingdom. And the he rules and reigns over all. But on the end, at the end, there will be some. Is it possible? Do we need to grapple with the reality of the fact that at the end, there will be some who will say, I knew Jesus' name. I even did some Jesus-y kind of things. And Jesus will respond, I never knew you. And so Jesus is king, and he's proclaiming the gospel good news of the kingdom. And yet, let's reckon with the fact that not everybody is automatically part of the kingdom. And so what should we wonder? What should be desperately important to our existence on this, time, on this side of eternity? Asking God, how to enter his kingdom is the work of this side of eternity is to seek the answer to entrance into the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bible with me, open, or if you have your Bible with you, not with me, <laughs> I have one. You don't need to give me yours. If you have your Bible with you, open to Ephesians chapter 2. Or if you have a device that has a Bible app, open to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is where I'm going to go back to just reading the scriptures and letting God speak through his word as we consider entrance into the kingdom. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children deserving of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 1 said, and you were dead. And then verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace, you have been saved. By grace, by his favor, by his blessing that you didn't earn or match up to, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, and God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, by putting your faith in Jesus by realizing you can't do it yourself, by, by recognizing we can't rescue ourselves, by coming to the end of ourselves and recognizing that the gift, that salvation is a gift of God's grace and that we, through faith, just receive it and thank God for what he has done through Jesus. So back to verse 8. And, you have been, and by grace... You have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Don't we, just, don't we just tend toward works? Don't we tend toward thinking we've got to earn? If you really think about the way you proceed through your life and your days and, and, and your approach to God, if I'm honest about it, there's a t there's tendency to default to works, to trying to perform, to trying to match up, to, to get my behavior together, and maybe God will like me. But what did Ephesians 2 just tell us? That it's not me. It's not my efforts. It's not my works. It's, it's not so I can do something so then I can boast and say, well, look what I did. It's God's work. It's God's gift. It's God's power. It's God's grace. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has already done. The cross accomplished our salvation. His life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for us to find life with him. Our salvation, being made right with God, being forgiven, being part of the kingdom, being part of the family of God, is by grace alone. We receive it through faith alone. In who? In Jesus alone. So then what about Matthew 7, 
What about those verses we looked at a few minutes ago that Jesus says, not everybody will enter the kingdom except the one who does the will of my Father. So then what? Then, then I think even those of us that have, that have embraced the gift of grace, even those of us that have recognized I can't do it myself, I don't earn my own salvation, I, we, maybe we've come to grips with the fact that it's God's grace, it's his gift, and so we've thanked God for his gift of grace and for doing the work, and that I don't have to... And so we receive salvation and we become a follower of Jesus and we go, yeah, that was by grace and now I need to live for him so I'm going to try real hard. Anybody else do that? Yeah, it was grace that I am saved. I couldn't do it myself. I needed to follow Jesus and Jesus alone saves. It was by grace and now I'm supposed to obey. I'm supposed to do the will of my Father who is in heaven so I better get to it. Yes, and no, sorta, but not really. Let's see. It's God's grace that brings our salvation. But friends, church family, it's also God's grace that enables us to live for him. It's only by his grace moving and, and carrying us that we can obey, that we can do the will of our Father. And I, and I get that from places like this. On the screen is Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Can we go to that one, please? Philippians 2. I just wanted to, no, not working. Okay, I'll read it. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to what Paul, this early church leader, encourages followers of Jesus to do. Paul says, just as you have always obeyed, I want you to work out your own salvation. Now, at first, we get kind of nervous about that. But did he say work for your salvation? No. We don't work for our salvation. It's not our efforts that earn our place with God. He's saying work out your salvation. In other words, demonstrate it. In other words, your salvation should change everything. The gospel good news changes everything. And so there's a way that, that your life ought to live it out, ought, ought to work out the implications of the God rescuing me from sin and death has implications, right, in the way that I live. Or no? <laughs> Does it have implications on the way I live? Yeah, it, it changes everything. And so, so Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. But then here's the beauty part. Yes, work it out. Yes, demonstrate. Yes, obey. But then the verse continues and says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's God's grace that enables me to respond in obedience. It's God's grace that even gives me the desire to obey and to live for him. Not only are we saved from, from death and hell and our sin by the grace of God, it's God's grace that enables us to live for him. As we work out our salvation, as we demonstrate the implications of the fact that Jesus has changed me, as we demonstrate those in our, through our lives, through our words and actions, it's God who works in us, both giving us the desire and the ability to live for him. And then look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing again, um, 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Is, is Paul participating? Is he working out his salvation? Is there some effort to do what he's told to do? Yeah, he says, I worked harder than any of them. But look at that next part. It's beautiful. Though it wasn't I, it was the grace of God that is with me. Church family, you need to obey. <laughs> you, you need to demonstrate your faith. You, your life should be increasingly changed into the image of Jesus. Your outward life, your words and your actions ought to be increasingly in obedience to the life of Jesus. When we start the Sermon on the Mount next week, it's kind of rough because it has some things that our lives ought to be as citizens of the kingdom. It's a little bit rough. But then we can say, it's not me. It's the grace of God that is with me. Our effort, our works, our obedience, our behavior, our performance doesn't gain our salvation. But our effort, our works, our obedience, our behavior are gifts of God's grace. Just as he saved us by his grace, he gifts us with grace to live, to obey, to be, be transformed, to be more and more like Jesus. And so our effort, our works, our obedience, our behavior doesn't earn us salvation, but, but we offer them to God out of thankfulness, out of all that he's done for us, out of the life death, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that's brought us out of darkness and into the light, out of sin to forgiveness out of death and into life because of thankfulness for all that he has done for us through Jesus. We offer our, our works and our obedience as, as fruit, as, as proof, as demonstration that Jesus has changed our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For, and then look at that. For this comes from the Lord. We, follower of Jesus, you are being changed more and more to be like Christ. Over the course of life, we are being sanctified. We are being transformed. And then I love that last phrase. It comes from the Lord. That grace of God within you. It's not you. It's his work. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that one able to put up, Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith Church, the gospel changes everything. Our salvation is a gift of God's grace. Our transformation into the likeness of Jesus is a gift of God's grace. Our, and our ability, our desire to live for him is God's grace at work in our life. Jesus changes everything. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel good news of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection changes 
everything. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that living a kingdom life, that living as a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, doesn't mean I became a Christian and then the rest of my life is the same as it was before. When I say the gospel of the kingdom changes everything, it means that we don't just choose to follow Jesus and then I'm good to go. There's never any other change or indication in my life that anything is any different. No, the gospel good news of Jesus changes everything. It means that that as we are now in Christ, we are made into a new person. We're given new heart and new mind and new desires. And God's grace saves us from sin and death. God's grace transforms us to be more like Jesus. And God's grace enables us to live out the ways of Jesus, to live in obedience to him. And so next week when we start the series, The Kingdom Life, through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to continue to ask God, what does it look like for our lives living as Jesus' is king, living as citizens of his kingdom? What will that transformed life look like? What will that grace-empowered, grace-enabled life look like? How will our salvation be worked out, be demonstrated to those around us. So that's next week. And today, we want to share in the Lord's Supper together. So the, uh, let's have Pastor Matt and the worship team are going to come back up. And, uh, and as we get ready to share in the Lord's Supper together, let's just talk about the Lord's Supper just for a moment. As we begin a new week, here we are on Sunday. Here we have considered his word. Here we have put ourselves in front and listened to him as we begin a new week and we want to be empowered by his grace to live for him. We gather together as a church family to point one another to Jesus. We gather together as a church family to remember Jesus. And I, I don't know about you, but I need weekly reminders. I need daily reminders. And so when we gather as a church family, it's pointing each other to Jesus. When we come to the table and share in the Lord's Supper, it's a way to remember what Jesus has done. I love some language I've shared with you before from the EFCA. When it talks about the Lord's Supper, it says that the Lord's Supper visibly and tangibly expresses the gospel. That, that we, when we share in the Lord's Supper, when we take the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood, it's a visible and tangible reminder of what Jesus has done. We are, we, are, we are taking the bread and the juice to represent his body and blood, to remember his death so that we could have life. And so we gather together to point each other to Jesus. We come to the Lord's Supper table in a moment to remember what Jesus has done. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to come to the table and take the elements And we will receive the Lord's Supper together this morning. So it's a little different than we sometimes do it. Instead of coming and taking uh, the elements in your own timing, in a moment, I'm going to invite you all to go to one of the four tables. There's two here and two in the back. In a moment, we'll all go. Those of you that are followers of Jesus are invited to share in the Lord's Supper. Go and get a cracker and some juice. And then I invite you to go back to your seat and hold on to it so that we can take it at the same time together. Sound good? All right, so let's take a few moments.